really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome back to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. This is, of course, the second part of this week's regularly scheduled program. If you missed the first part, that one was all about the Southern Hemisphere, while this ep will tackle all things Northern. Uh, Our normal weekly segments, including current updates, news, and thoughts of the week, can all be found in episode 61A, uh, though we did find room for a second, that's right, a second Diamond in the Ruck Award. Though the winner is a repeat, I have to admit. <laughs> Spoiler alert. So, okay, as always, with the admin out of the way, let's get right to it. So getting right into our reviews, and, of course, starting with the brand new, brand spanking new season number two of The Irk. The URC, my friends, is back. It all began on Friday with Benetton versus Glasgow. Uh, that was the only Friday fixture this weekend, but... uh you know, out of curiosity, I don't know why, but I finally looked up exactly where Treviso is on the map, and I was surprised to discover that it's closer to Munich than it is to Rome, just way up there. Either way, it looked like, like a lovely day to kick things off, and I was a bit disappointed the comms were so downbeat. It was like it was just any other sort of mid-season fixture, just no build-up and frankly no enthusiasm. Come on, people, what's better than the start of a new Haggis Cannoli Cup? Come on! In any event, it was Eduardo Padovani who would score the first try of the new season, giving Benetton an 8-3 lead after the first quarter. Glasgow looked a bit rusty. Lots of sort of fumble fingers. And, you know, so the thing I noticed, not even sure how best to describe this, but quite often, two or even three players would all seem to think that a pass was intended for them. They'd all be sort of looking at it, ready to grab it, and then one would snatch it out of the air, and the one or two other guys would just kind of look confused and completely unsure how to provide support. Like, I guess they just looked unrehearsed, if that makes sense. Anyway. George Horn, he got another penalty kick to double their score heading into the half, but Glasgow were still down 13-6. to You know, last year, they were famous for second-half collapses. If that trend were to continue today, I mean, they might as well call it now. Dark and dramatic clouds continued to roll in as we began the second half. Was it an over-the-top sign, I wondered? <laughs> and then, it's a trio of tries in Treviso, the comms rather proudly proclaimed as if they had just discovered alliteration at that very moment. As Benetton scored yet again, 13 unanswered points in the second half, saw the lead become 26-6. to Warriors looking completely discombobulated and unable to break over the line. So if they ask you in the bar at some point, the first try scored by a Scottish player in the URC this season was a beauty by Xander Ferguson, uh, Fagerson, sorry, and... Uh, and then the gloopy rain, it all began to sort of slowly fall heavily from the Italian skies. They rub salt in the wounds of the Glasgow Warriors, said the comms as this one ended. Benetton tripling up the visitors 33-11. to 11. And I just have to call it now before other people get to it. If Glasgow end up dropping, I don't know, their first like three matches this year, the press is definitely going to start calling Franco Smith Blanco Smith. And, you know, what a weird start to the year, I got to say. Don't get me wrong, it's, it's week one. Lots of things can and will transpire before this season concludes, but boy, oh boy, this was a decisive win for Benetton. Glasgow, they'll need to regroup and frankly get their ish together toot sweet if they want to have any hope at all this year. If you're a Benetton fan, I apologize for sort of how slanted this review was. And 
let's face it, y'all were fantastic. It was a well-deserved victory. Every aspect of the game was owned by the Italians. And if nothing else, it makes me wonder if this competition is a little more wide open than maybe we all thought. Okay, okay, it's just one match, no overreactions allowed. And John, over in Glasgow, sorry, man, that sucked. So next up, it was Cardiff taking on Munster and the home side. They jumped out pretty early in this one, but I just, I don't know. I had a feeling Munster was going to find their way back as things wore on. So just before 20 minutes had elapsed, a terrible sight for Cardiff fans with Liam Williams writhing in pain, clutching his shoulder after being smashed into touch, eventually walking off in a sling, just an ugly beginning to be sure. Right on half hour, it was Key and Healy giving Munster their first lead, 5-6, to six, but Cardiff would get their second try as the half was expiring, making it a 12-6 to six advantage going into the break. Neither team would score a point until Munster finally broke through for their first try and their first lead with the conversion at that point. And, you know, of course I was pulling for Cardiff to respond. We got a great shot of Die Young in the booth, and I swear... Over time, the man has come to look like a cartoon parody of himself. I just don't know how else to describe it. It's incredible. Also, I do understand he's still happily married to his longtime partner, Liv Fast, so that's always nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure no one has ever made that joke before. Another unwelcome sight, though, then, for Cardiff and Wales supporters, in fact, as Josh Adams, already with a heavily bandaged head, took a huge hit and stayed down squirming. I mean, surely we can't lose two of their biggest names right on the very first day, can we? Oy vey, with Welsh luck right now. So James hot knife through butter both of them. He slipped and slid his way through to put Cardiff right on Munster's doorstep, but the Irish defense was exceptional, just denying and denying. The home team would settle for three and the reclamation of ascendancy on the scoreboard. With only five minutes to play, the Not Blues were still up 15-13 and enjoying another penalty opportunity. Would they be able to put Munster to bed? Sure enough, they got their third try out wide with the comms pointing out a successful conversion would guarantee the win. But it sailed to the right and the visitors would have a final chance. And then, I mean, just wow, Munster, they were diving, uh, driving and looking for, for all signs to be headed for a nice draw. But a massive turnover by Cardiff gave them the ball back with only 15 seconds showing on the clock. And the crowd were ecstatic to start the year off with a sweet win. And their first win over Munster in four years, according to the comms. Ah, I love this league. Anyway, next up was Zebre versus Leinster. And can you believe it? Zebre, they came within four of Leinster, which is an incredible feat in itself. They really did earn it and had multiple chances there at the end, but couldn't quite break through. What an effort, though. 29 to 33 was the final. Last year, I loudly speculated that Italy and the Italian clubs had perhaps turned a corner and early signs look pretty good. So Scarlets versus Ospreys was up next, and, you know, I was very excited for this one. I recently had a great chat with Stefan Thomas, the fantastic Welsh journalist. He very much felt that both of these teams could find their way into the playoffs this year. And uh, by the way, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, uh, I've linked the, that great interview in the show notes. Very much worth a listen. Anyway, one of the things we talked about, in fact, was the challenge Ospreys would face in deciding how best to utilize Alan Wynne-Jones this year. On one hand, you want him fully wrapped in cotton leading up to the next Rugby World Cup. On the other hand, he needs some game experience to stay sharp, right? Well, Ospreys look to have decided to leave the padding aside, giving him the start in their opening fixture. So as for the game itself, I was out of my seat and fist-pumping as Gareth Anscombe scored the first try of the season for the Ospreys. Scarlets looked a bit rattled at that point, though I think a lot of teams had trouble shaking off the rust this weekend. I, I expect things will neaten up quite a bit in the next, uh, the next few rounds. So, quote, everything just seems a little bit easier for the Ospreys at the moment, unquote. And that was a line from the comms. And the 10-point lead after a quarter of play seemed to bear that out. 
bit of controversy right at the halftime whistle with the officials going a ways back to look at an incident of foul play, which I swear, I didn't even know what to make of it. They showed the replay so many times. It kind of looked like an egregious head-on-head, just reckless non-tackle against Ospreys, but it sort of equally looked like the Scarlet's player thought he was playing soccer and just faked the entire thing. Very hard to adjudicate these things in the moment. And the ref eventually said he'd taken it down from a yellow to a straight penalty, and the crowd were frothing with rage. One fan they showed, he was wearing his full Scarlet's kit along with the Spider-Man mask, which he'd sort of lifted up to his forehead to, you know, voice his disapproval more convincingly, I suppose. And if you ever want to erode the credibility of your own discontent, just wear a superhero mask weirdly bunched up on the top of your head. Just an FYI. So, all that in the rearview mirror. We went into the second half, and ten minutes in, Ospreys found themselves a player up and only a converted try down. They would take advantage, leveling the scores only minutes later, and this one was turning into a seriously exciting match. Parky Scarlet's was thunderous. With under 15 minutes to go, Scarlet's pulled ahead 23-16, and the volume level was through the roof. <laughs> Goofy side note here. Over the life of this podcast, I've, whether I've wanted to or not, seen a lot of men's underwear on display, and you know, usually it's something kind of silly or cartoony or just, I don't know, colorful at least, but today... An Osprey, who I didn't actually recognize from that particular angle, uh, was just showing off some good old-fashioned tidy whities and they were a bit, you know, threadbare and dingy, I'd say, at best. Guys, do better, okay? Anyway, a crazy ending ensued. It highlighted one of those constant bugaboos, which is trying to decide what is a deliberate knock-on and what is an actual attempt to grab the ball. This one was tough because the initial action looked like a sort of just a, a block of a pass, but... The ricochet allowed Calamaphony to almost catch it and go, but they did decide it was cynical. Double whammy for the home team. He was sent off with Ospreys in great position to tie it up. And then the visitors crossed the line, and though it looked to me like it was clearly held up, the ref indicated a try, giving Jack Walsh on debut for the Ospreys a chance to draw the match with a conversion. Pretty sure I'd be effing seething about this one if I was a Scarlet fans, by the way. So... Quote, all square in the West Wales Derby, unquote, said the comms as it went through. And you know what? Last week, I had said how it was ironic that the two teams Stefan picked to go to the postseason had to start the year with one beating the other. So naturally, that didn't happen. A bit of a shocker and a 23-all tie for these teams' first outing of the new year. Fun stuff. So next up, of course, was Ulster at home for Connacht. I have to say, it was very nice to see Jacob Stockdale getting the start. It had been so long since I've seen him play, I honestly have to admit, I'd kind of forgotten about him. I always like to think of him as like, uh, sort of like James Lowe, but likable. Okay, that was mean. What the F was with that? Anyway, on the flip side, I had to wonder, where is Bundy Aki? And where is James Cooney? As always, if any of you listeners out there have the inside scoop, please reach out and share it with me. I would love to know. So a chip kick from uh, Fitzgerald would give my guys their first and only points of the first half. Very uh, that you know, right at the very end, it was fourteen to three for the Ulstermen heading into the locker room. Very little went right for the visitors in the second half, still holding on to their three points while Ulster began to run away, getting up to twenty nine points with a quarter hour to go. Connacht did eventually get a try very late, but it was never close. The home team up 36 to 10 after 80 minutes and still looking to pile more on. Connacht would turn them over and have another go, but knocking it on, the ref blew the double whistle to bring it to an end. Five tries and a bonus point in the bag for Ulster. So Edinburgh versus Dragons looked competitive at first, with Dragons scoring first and second, but as one of the comms said, well, the crowd is pretty stunned. Right when he said that, the crowd erupted with a huge cheer for Edinburgh and from that moment on everything went the way of the home team 
With 13 minutes left, it was an astonishing 44 to 6. That would be the final score. Dragons having scored not one single point since early in the first half. Jamie Ritchie coming back and uh, coming in as captain played either most of or all of the game. I haven't quite looked at it and it doesn't really matter. He was out there very late no matter what and looked great, commanding his team to what the comms called a statement game. But, you know, let's all please take a chill pill, okay? Anyway, Lions versus Bulls was the only South African match I could find this week. Uh, and it appeared like, I don't know, 210 people actually bothered to show up. So strange. The, the stands don't look any different right now than they did during the height of COVID. Why don't people want to go to these matches? I don't get it. Uh, in the interest of transparency, by the time I was watching this one, I'd been having a pretty abominable day and basically sort of counted myself among those who didn't really feel like showing up. I ultimately fast forwarded through sizable chunks of the action for this one. I did rally. I brought myself back in for the, the final 10 minutes when it was 15 to 24 in favor of the visiting bulls. And with the clock gone red, the visitors stole a line out throw to ice it. So on my list, neither the Stormers nor the Sharks were playing this weekend, though I can't imagine why. But if I figure it out, I will undoubtedly let you know on the Twitter. So with that, round one of the new, URC, uh, the new URC is in the books. Welcome back and let the massive overreactions commence. So moving on to round two of the Gallagher Premiership, Northampton versus London Irish was up first. And it, it's weird. Because I definitely have a thing for wanting to watch Northampton, but I definitely have an equal thing of not wanting to watch London Irish. So I eventually just sort of strapped on an eye patch and half watched it. No, seriously, I, I actually almost did that just for the joke before realizing nobody on earth would actually see it. So in the end, the Saints looked good at home, going up 10 to nil at the break and out, outscoring their guests 28 to 22 in the second half getting their first win of the year, 38-22, to in front of an approving uh, throng of people. And I thought Agent Furbank did quite well as a, a stand-in skipper for the ill Dan Bigger. Bath versus Sale was next. And, you know, I was at least mildly intrigued with this one with a very different Sale team and that rarest of all things, a Bath pitch that was in good condition. hey oh. Anyway, to be fair, I do love the atmosphere and particularly the, the background scenes in Bath. I mean, holy crap, what a place. And it's absolutely true that when it's not a mud pit, their home ground is just a beaut. Um, this was a slow-moving game. Lots of chatter with the refs. Lots of camera angles for the TMO. Sale, only 10 minutes in, got a red card to match those weird away jerseys. You know, maybe that's a marketing gimmick or something? We we wear the red, we get a red. I don't know. By the way, Sharks marketing people, uh, please make your checks payable to me, myself, and I. So right after, uh, sorry, right before halftime, it felt like there were three straight injuries and it was almost like the official simply decided, yeah, screw the clock. This half is over, which I found very weird, but also kind of appreciated. Uh, anyway, the Sharks, they seemed unperturbed by the player deficit. They enjoyed a 13 to 30 lead with a full half hour left to play. Fast forward to the 10 minute mark and sale were down to 13 players, but their lead was still 10 and it was inevitable. And the, the last match I would watch this weekend would favor a depleted sales side. And this just can't be good news for a path. Um, I will resist the urge to overreact. 20 to 37 was the final score. And I look forward to looking closely at sale this year. They intrigue me quite a bit. So next up, and I, I realized right as I was finishing that last segment. So I don't, watch the games in order, but I definitely sort of report on them in order. So that, that's why the, the last match I was talking about, I said, was the last one I list, uh, watched over the weekend, which is true, but it certainly wasn't the last rugby played. No, no, no. We had lots to go, including 
Harlequins hosting the Saracens. Oh my word, this one looked so juicy. The Quins whacked him with two tries in like five and a half minutes, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. By the way, the series just don't look their usual intimidating selves in that weird sort of corporate coffee mug kit. Just saying. Superb score from Saracens. So subtle, alliterated the affable announcers. And as I said earlier, let's not get ahead of ourselves. 17 to 5 Harlequins at that point. Saracens would answer, but Harlequins would answer back and were doubling up their guests as the final seconds dripped away in the half, 24 to 12. Enter the final quarter and Saracens were only down four and looking dangerous. It was only moments later they would score again, getting a bonus point try, and suddenly it was 24 to 27. As the Quins botched a line out, you heard those most fateful of words, Atoje has it, and Ceres stole one away after being way behind 27 to 30 at the end. Very good stuff. So Leicester were, uh, were facing Newcastle ne next, and uh, I admit I missed this one, but, but it appeared to go much as I would have predicted the champs winning at home 36 to 21. And speaking of matches I didn't really watch too much of, Wasps versus Bristol was next. Wasps, uh, you know, they performed poorly at home, only scoring eight to the visitors' 23. An extra little tidbit, reading here from the Bristol Post, Callum Sheedy became just the second Bristol player to record a full house in the Premiership. A full house, of course, is scoring a try, penalty, conversion, and drop goal. And he did so on the way to notching up an 18-point haul, which took him beyond the 1,000-point milestone for the club, becoming just the eighth player to do so in... Uh, in first team games. Now those are some great numbers. I love it. Also, this was the first win at Wasps for the Bears in 22 years. Final score, 8 to 23, all told. So Worcester versus Exeter was next, and it did go ahead. So as we discussed in the Thoughts of the Week, back from part one of this episode, that does seem to indicate that they have been, you know, saved, bought, I guess is the simplest way to put it. Though the air of uncertainty, ugh, it just must be so awful for them right now. Losing two in a row can't help either, though they put up a better showing at home for the visiting Chiefs with a tw uh, with 21 to 36 being your final score. I really hope to have more up-to-date info soon. I'm sure the Warriors feel the same way. Exeter's player of the match, Richard Capstick, said, quote, We always have tough games when we come here. They had plenty to play for, and I really wish them the best. I hope it just gets sorted as soon as possible. We tried to play a little bit too much at times, but it's great to get the five points. Last year didn't go as well as we wanted it to, but we have had a good preseason, and if we keep putting in good performances, the results should take care of themselves, unquote. Final thought, I'm so glad that Peacock eventually sorted this out. If you recall, the start of this competition was literally just two, maybe three at the most days away before the fixtures finally showed up as being available. I can't imagine a year without the Prem. You know, it's not at the very top of my list, but it's definitely something special, you know? So then, wheeling over to France and the top 14, we started round three with Bordeaux-Begla versus Cast. Somehow, I ended up seeing the score before I had a chance to watch it. Ugh! Bordeaux-Begla apparently looked very strong at home, more than doubling up their visitors, 33-12. to Then, Brieve, they hosted Montpellier, and it was another gorgeous day for some rugby with a huge crowd exhorting on their side right from the start. It looked like we were in for a really good one, tied at 14 after 30 minutes and 20-17 to at the break. 20 minutes later, Brieve had added three, and that was the sum of the scoring damage. Montpellier still very much in it. Almost as soon as I'd written that, uh, they took their first lead, only to see it disappear within minutes. It was 26-24 to in a seriously cool matchup. This one just 
kept ratcheting up. Montpellier answering back with a converted try, and Breve were down five with about as many minutes left. Breve then got incredible field position and a penalty, knowing they needed a try with 40 seconds to go and ticking. Side note here, by the way. As you know, this is my first chance this year to catch the top 14. And my very, very, very early observation is they are just not messing around at the breakdown. Like when it's time for the ball to come out, it's time for it to come out. They'll be damned if they want to wait around for a tardy scrum half to saunter their way over. It just seems like a, a who's next kind of competition. Really cool. And I'm, I'm really digging that aspect. Anyway, sorry, back to the action. Desperate to stop what they felt coming, Montpellier got yellow carded for overaggression on D, but Brief couldn't get it done in the end. And it brings up something I find annoying about the rules, okay? Montpellier committed three consecutive penalties in the scrum, leading to three resets. With one player already in the bin, the ref seemed very reluctant to send another, so the only punishment for committing penalties in that is that the opposition have to try again. And, like, it's difficult. If you have to... if you have to get four scrums to go to go your way in a row i mean that's really difficult like so my question is why would a team not commit scrum penalties late in the game there you know it totally worked in the visitor's favor in this case i'm sure there's some good reasoning that i'm just simply unaware of right uh, right right everybody anyway la rochelle welcome to perpignan next and only by virtue of a last second penalty kick did the visitors get on the board over the first 40 minutes with la rochelle up 26 to 3 at the intermission. They cooled off considerably after the break, but still had way too much for Perpignan, taking an easy home win 43 to 8. Quel fromage! So, next, of course, Stade Francais took on Bayon. And as I mentioned, Nicolas Sanchez was not in the starting 23, though my efforts to find out more about his injury have been unsuccessful. If you know anything, please drop me a line, get in touch. I'd love to know when or if we can expect it back this season. Love that guy. Anyway, great lead up to this one with the enormous flags waving proudly all throughout the cavernous venue. I got a couple good looks at their mascot as well, who looked very much like the Pink Panther to me, or Pink Panther-y. Uh, naturally, I looked it up and found this. The mascot of the club is a lion named Ovelian, or was a lion named Ovelian, Ovalion, uh, which was replaced in 2011 by a new mascot called Ovalion 2. You heard it here first, people. I mean, at least I hope so, because the idea that you would have already known that just seems kind of weird. Anywho, there was no English commentary available for this one, so I'm going to describe what I saw with an outrageous French accent. Uh, no, no, I won't do that. So, Bayon, they jumped out very early, and I swear, it looked like nobody had told the home side that the game had started. It was like a practice try or something. As it unfolded, there wasn't much scoring to speak of in the first half, Stud making it 6-10 to 10 with the clock well into the red. Both sides managed just three points throughout the third quarter, and then it looked like Bayon had gotten their lead to nine uh, just before the officials waved off a try. So, sorry guys, not this time. Shortly thereafter, Paris was awarded a penalty try for their first lead of the contest before adding another three as we hit the 10-minute mark. As the final moments ticked away, the drink boxes broke through for yet another score. The crowd were absolutely bananas. So good. Just like that. It was suddenly a 26-16 victory for Stade Francais on a simply beautiful Parisian day. Racing 92 were at home for Lyon. And, okay, this is speculative, but I'm starting to wonder. And I know, it's way too early, but I, I can't help it. I'm starting to wonder if Racing 92 are just a little too inconsistent to really pose a challenge this year. I think there are at least two, maybe three other clubs that are, I, I guess, more reliable right now. Anywho, they, they did lead 23-14 to 14 at halftime, and slowly, inexorably, 
They built that margin throughout the second 40, and 32 to 19 was the tally by the end. I'm not taking back what I said, though. Anyway, then it was Poe taking on Toulouse, and as you all know, I'm a noob for the top 14. Uh, I thought this one was going to be a set-in-stone walkover for Toulouse, but it was Poe looking dominant in the first half, leading 19 to 9. Then with 10 minutes left, both teams had scored and converted tries, keeping the lead at 10 for Section Palois. At the end, the comms said, they celebrate, they smile, they pump their fists, as Poe got a lovely home victory over the favored visitors. On Sunday, of course, it was Toulon back at home to play Claremont. And again, this one was just too late on the list on a busy weekend. And I'm going to have to save it for later. Definitely getting the hang of this lead, league. And uh, more than ever, I would love to witness a match in person. The atmosphere simply can't be beat. Unbelievable stuff. And finally, hopping over to Scotland for the Super Six. We started off with the Southern Knights versus Harriets. That one was on Friday. I actually got to watch some nice chunks of this one. That was the first time this season, in fact. I don't know. It's strange how things work out. Last year, I feel like I watched a ton of Super Six, and this year, it's just never worked out. Anyway, right off the bat, I, I have to ask, is Holly Davidson the hardest working referee in the world? She's officiating World Cup 7's last weekend, and then bam, she's back in Melrose for a Friday fixture. Dang, come on, take a break. Put your feet up, would you? In any event, Southern Knights, they started well and actually had a nice lead before Harriet's clawed their way back in, taking a 10-point lead and looking in control. The home team did get within three in the closing moments, but an errant kick, an errant kick dinged, I swear to you, off of a Harriet's player, sending the ball backwards to be touched down for an extra try by the visitors, and it was game over. 21-31 to 31 was the score by the very end, and I was about to say leaving the Knights winless on the season, but I double-checked, and no. It's the Windless Wolves this time. I know, maybe if they rebrand, that could help. Oh. By the way, statistical side note. So I was writing this down on Friday. So that was before the other four teams had played. So by the time you hear this, it's gonna, it's obviously going to have changed. But at that moment on Friday, Watsonians and Bormir Bears, they're both 4-1 and one in the season, but the Watsonians' point differential is 102, while the Bears' differential is... Five. That's right. Five. Can you even believe it? Love this stuff. Anyway, next up was Watsonian versus the Boromir Bears. Uh, I garble that word every single time. Boromir Bears. This one saw my Bears falling badly off their recent form, getting fairly whacked by the home team. 31 to 10 by the end of that one. And then, of course, it was the Sterling Wolves versus the Ayrshire Bulls. Just, you know, another one continuing the ongoing nightmare for the Silver Puppy. Obliterated on their own home turf by an emphatic 20-64. to 64. Just an absolute howler. And that's how this one would end for the weekend. Well, my friends, by the music, you'll know it's time for this week's second Diamond in the Ruck Award, this time for the Northern Hemisphere, and this week the award goes to... Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just giving it to Alex Dombrandt again. <laughs> he is my favorite player in the Northern Hemisphere, and when you, Alex, my good friend, forced a turnover, got the ball and smashed through like four guys, then burst out at full speed, then whizzed an absolute bullet pass to the winger just as he came free. I mean, that try was as much yours as it was his. And then you basically did the exact same thing again, but replaced the pass with a sublime offload. I mean, it's just insane. Week in and week out, Alex Dombrandt, you are one sick dude. Congratulations. For once again, you are 
This week's Diamond in the Ruck, well done once again, sir. my friends that does it for part two and does it entirely for another week as always i've had a blast i apologize again for just the sheer amount we've got sort of coming your way this week i'm committed to toning it down going forward i think the combination of you know the return of the urc along with the just utterly insane blood is low match just sort of sent me over the top so we'll be back next week with a much more reasonable dose on top of that Ooh, I have some very special interviews coming up. Um, That's all I'm going to say about that at the moment, but boy, y'all have lots of good stuff to look forward to. So, as always, thanks again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon, and be well.